Welcome to the Interculturally of Council podcast. My name is Jerry Weber, and I'm your host for this podcast. I am a U.S. attorney based in Frankfurt, Germany, and work as an intercultural consultant, trainer, and moderator for legal professionals. The aim of this podcast is to raise the awareness of legal professionals of the need for intercultural competence in their daily practice. I interview experienced legal professionals working in different capacities around the world to learn what tips they can give practitioners for improving how they work and communicate with other cultures in the legal context. Today's guest on episode 15 is Killian Belts, who is based in Berlin and Cairo. Killian is a partner with the firm Amarella Legal Consultants, a business law firm with 60 lawyers in Europe, the Middle East, and North Africa. Killian is a business lawyer who specializes in advising on transactions and disputes across the MENA region. He studied law and Middle Eastern studies at the universities of Freiburg, Berlin, Damascus, the American University of Cairo, and in London. He has lived and worked in the region for many years. During our interview, Killian shares with us his belief that the difference in corporate governments in the Middle East, not culture, is more of a challenge for people from other countries when doing business there. He shares his observations and insights on the different dynamics and negotiations due to the corporate governance structures. He also explains the importance of personal interactions to success in the Middle East. At the end of our discussion, Killian gives us some tips to consider when working with colleagues or clients in the Middle East. I hope you enjoy the interview. I'd like to welcome Dr. Killian Betz to our program today. Uh, Killian, thanks for joining me. Can you tell our listeners where are you sitting in the world right now as we speak? Yes, uh, I'm. Uh, good morning, uh, everyone. Uh, I am uh, dividing uh, my time uh, between uh, our uh, offices in Berlin and in Cairo. I have a uh, focus uh, on uh, the Middle East, uh, assisting uh, international investors, uh, many of them development banks. Uh, in their uh, projects across the MENA region with a uh, particular focus, as I call it, uh, difficult uh, Arab markets. Uh, so our firm, uh, the firm is called Amarella, uh, would have a particular strength in Egypt, uh, in Libya, in uh, Iraq, uh, and uh, also in uh, countries like uh, Sudan and Yemen. Our business uh, model would be uh, to go to jurisdictions that normally are not covered by uh, international firms. Okay. Other oh. international firms, I should, I should add. <laughs> okay. Um, we're going to start and get first about you personally, and then we'll, I'm, yeah. I'm going to ask you some more questions about your firm because I think Good. that's Good. fascinating. Okay. Um, when yeah. you think of yourself, what would you describe your home culture to be, describing where you are from? Um, that's a difficult question. I would uh, see myself as an international lawyer uh, who... Uh, so to say, grew up uh, in the uh, German legal system, but uh, spent uh, substantial uh, times, uh, substantial time uh, abroad, uh, both as a student uh, in uh, the Middle East, in Damascus and in Cairo, but also in London, 
and then uh, worked uh, for a city firm first in Frankfurt, uh, then in London, and then uh, for the last uh, decade or so, uh, mostly focusing on the Middle East uh, from Cairo and also from other places. Okay. Well, you've mentioned you've spent time in other countries, so I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that, if I may. You had mentioned that you had studied abroad. Could you tell us a bit more about where and what you studied uh, outside of Germany? Sure. Um, during my uh, third year at law school, I uh, got interested uh, in the Arab world, and I decided uh, to spend uh, a year uh, abroad uh, in Damascus to study Arabic. Uh, that was uh, in the early 1990s, uh, when Syria still was a very different country. And uh, so uh, off I went, and I uh, enrolled uh, in, a, in an Arabic class. Uh, that was the Institute for Teaching Arabic uh, to Foreigners, the Ma'had Litalim Al-Lugh Al-Arabi Lil-Janib in Damascus. That was a well-known uh, foreign language institute at the time. I had a very interesting uh, time uh, mixing... Uh, with students from uh, all uh, all over the world uh, who and, and from very different uh, disciplines uh, who shared uh, the interest uh, to learn Arabic. Okay, let me just ask you also, so you were studying law in Germany and then you went and studied Arabic in Damascus. Um, was Can you tell us a little bit also about what was different in how the academic system worked? Uh, did you find the university experience itself quite different? The university experience was completely different. Uh, the uh, teaching me methods uh, were uh, very scholastic uh, in uh, Syria. Uh, there were a lot of uh, drills for, for grammar and vocabulary, vocabulary and so on. But Arabic is a difficult language, and I can tell you uh, <laughs> what I know today of Arabic grammar. I learned this uh, during the time in Damascus. Okay, they really drilled it into you through these methods, effectively. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's also very, it's been good for you, right? Um, it's an experience you don't want to, um, at, at the, the, the Western academic system uh, certainly has its, has its advantages, mm -hmm. um, but you appreciate them even more if you uh, saw something else. Sure. Uh, and did you also, um, you've studied also beyond, uh, outside of Germany, but not just in Damascus, but other places, I believe. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, I spent a year at uh, American University in Cairo. Um, that was uh, after I completed my German law degree. And uh, then I did an LLM in uh, Islamic and Middle Eastern laws at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. Uh, that uh, at the time uh, was uh, the leading university for law in the Middle East or maybe even uh, law outside Europe. They have a focus on African law, Middle Eastern law, Asian law, law and development and so on. How was your study um, in, the, in the LLM program different from your legal studies in Germany? Because obviously it was both, they were both focused on law, different areas of law, but can you also tell us a little bit about how maybe the academics between those two programs were different? I mean, I loved it because it was uh, so specialized on a subject that is uh, really close to my heart. And uh, Zoas is a great place uh, in so far as it brings together people with very diverse backgrounds. So uh, you, there would, you would be sitting there in class uh, 
with uh, fellow lawyers with no practical experience. Uh, some have uh, practiced law for many years. Uh, some would have a background in the judiciary. And uh, so as uh, the people basically would uh, come from all over from all over the world, of course, with a uh, certain uh, focus on uh, former Commonwealth countries mm -hmm. or present or for, former um, or countries belonging to the common law system and uh, the, the the Commonwealth uh, in general. But it's it's a great place, and I must say that. Uh, I'm still friends uh, with uh, many of the people I met at SOAS, and uh, maybe even more importantly, I still work today with many of the people I met uh, during that year. Okay, then a very nice, long-lasting impression that left on you, clearly, from that. Certainly, certainly, yeah. yes. Um, you also, when you were spending time, especially with these people from all over the world, even though you're sitting in London, um, did you... Did you perceive a lot of differences between your own culture coming from Germany originally and those of, first of all, people, you know, you're living in, in the UK and also, I guess, with people around the world. Were there any things that really struck you at the time? Um, of course, uh, approaches are very different. Um, how should I put it? Uh, I'm not sure whether culture is my uh, is, is my uh, primary uh, uh, framework uh, of reference. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, people are very different, yes, but uh, at a place like Soas, you see more what unites people, and this would be an interest uh, in the law from different perspectives, and. Um, yeah. Okay, that's that's a fair answer. Uh, you also have worked abroad, so not just in in Germany, as you've mentioned that's before. Right. Um, can yeah. you tell us a bit more about some of the places you've worked? Yeah, um, I spent uh, part of my uh, legal training uh, in Cairo uh, and uh, also in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. Okay. Um, I later then. Uh, worked uh, with a uh, city firm in London that was uh, later in my career. Mm -hmm. I then um, had a fellowship at Harvard University for a while. Um, and then I lived and worked in Cairo for a total of uh, eight years. Okay. And you've mentioned this before, but we're going to bring us back to today. So you, you've mentioned you now work partially in, in Cairo and partially Correct. in Germany, right? Okay. That's right. And and yeah. could you once again say what your particular area of specialty is as a lawyer? Yeah. I advise uh, development banks on uh, debt and equity investments across the MENA region. Okay. With a uh, particular focus uh, on Egypt uh, and Iraq, but also uh, on Libya and uh, neighboring countries. Okay. So you've worked with many other cultures, it sounds like, during your legal career. Uh, I mean, can you, beyond, beyond Egyptians and Iraqis and things, can you give us kind of a general idea about some of, how many different cultures you've probably worked yeah. with in your, in your time? Maybe, maybe let me talk about uh, how let me talk about how I would define culture. I sure. think in the law there is something like uh, an international legal profession, and uh, there are probably more commonalities between international business lawyers 
then uh, between uh, the international lawyer and uh, the local practitioner, the high street firm. Okay. Uh, so I find it uh, difficult to, to say that there to, did you work with different legal cultures. Yes, there, of course, there are differences between, the legal, between legal systems. And even more importantly, um, I think there are differences uh, in corporate governance around the world. And, for example, I had a transaction that was uh, last year where we represented a Chinese uh, state enterprise uh, in uh, negotiations relating to an infrastructure project in Iraq. And uh, the counterparty uh, was a uh, Kurdish uh, family business okay. or an oligarch. Uh, I don't know how you want to put it. And um, there, uh, the biggest gap is not that uh, one party is Kurdish and the other party is Chinese. Uh, the biggest gap is that uh, the Kurdish party essentially is a family business with a patriarch who is uh, who takes uh, who would uh, not be sitting uh, at the table, uh, but uh, who would be ultimately taking the decisions. Okay. On okay. Uh, the other hand, uh, you have a uh, Chinese uh, team of negotiators. They would come uh, in. 10, 15 people who would have traveled from China to, to Erbil in Iraq. Uh, that was uh, before the, uh, the more recent uh, difficulties. Okay. They, they would have traveled to Erbil, and uh, they would be uh, structured completely differently. They also they would share with the Kurdish side that the people sitting at the table are not uh, the decision takers. Okay. But uh, they would have to feed in the uh, result of the negotiations into a very complex uh, system of uh, committees uh, that uh, would then uh, approve different aspects of the transaction. So uh, I would say the major difference is uh, how is uh, how does corporate governance work in a particular country, and uh, how is uh, what what is the internal organization of your counterparty like? Okay, and deeply defective. There you already can see big differences between, for example, Germany, US, and France. And I worked uh, in M&A and private equity for uh, eight years or so in Frankfurt uh, okay. a while ago. But uh, already there you could see that uh, simply there's a big difference. But this difference mostly has to do with the corporate governance rather than with the culture or something. Yeah, I mean, but you're getting really to the point of how decisions are made and internally and Correct. how, how Correct. the negotiations really are actually yeah. going on yeah. because it's not I, uh, always... I do not, yeah? I do not believe in uh, the Arab mind or the Chinese mind or something like this. Mm -hmm. I think that um, decisions are made differently and maybe there's a, there's a different business etiquette. With business etiquette, I mean uh, how you structure negotiations. But give me, give me a very concrete example. Now, um, you often uh, will find that uh, European uh, clients are very dissatisfied with how negotiations go with a Middle Eastern counterparty. And um, of course, uh, it is difficult to, talk, to, to make these commonalities, but uh, uh, this is across the region, there would be a, a big dissatisfaction. They say, uh, we negotiate a contract, and what is being negotiated, it changes all the time. It changes all the time, and we really don't know uh, 
what, and until the very last moment, uh, until the contract uh, has been signed and the ink is, has dried, um, everything uh, is completely in flux. We find it so frustrating. We are used to a uh, more organized approach where you have to-do lists and you have open issues and you agree on the issues and then it's done. Okay. Um, this has not to do uh, with uh, the, uh, the Arab uh, not keeping promises. It also has not to do uh, with um, a different, uh, different approach uh, to, uh, to the contract and the importance of a written agreement. Um, it may have something to do with business etiquette that uh, even if you have agreed on a point, you later um, are permitted to reopen that point. But the major decisive uh, point in my view is that you will normally be negotiating with a family business. And okay. uh, the people uh, who you are uh, discussing, who, who you are speaking with, they are uh, just an agent um, who uh, will negotiate a transaction, and then they will go back to the principal, and they will seek the principal's approval. Okay. And uh, the principal will then say yes or no, or um, have certain ideas about... Uh, the outcome of the negotiations without having been present in the negotiations. Therefore, the feedback um, often uh, appears to be very irrational. There's a, there were negotiations, 10 days of silence, <laughs> and then the contract comes back and it looks completely different. Okay. Um, very frustrating, but understandable if you see what happened inside the counterparty okay. you are uh, negotiating with. The agent uh, took, the, uh, took the revised draft agreement to the principal, and the principal just said, no, this, is, this went completely into the wrong direction. I want to have, it, uh, have, wanna have everything reversed. Mm -hmm. The agent has no, um, has no uh, other possibility than uh, implementing all these suggestions and taking them back. Okay. So they're, they, they're not in the powerful position to decide. They are yeah. really just the agent. And one has to know yeah. that. Yeah. And this, from the outside, this looks uh, like a uh, completely ill-organized and erratic uh, way of negotiating a contract. Okay. But it has its, it has its, its reasons. Not, yeah. I'm not saying that it's particularly productive, but it is not irrational. Okay. Um, so you're sharing with me already my next question, which was, you know, observations that you have about how you've had to adapt the way you advise and communicate with clients from other places or, I mean, as you're even talking mm -hmm. about other, mm -hmm. other corporate structures. Um, so already in this context, you were just explaining, explaining to European uh, businesses when they're negotiating in the Middle East uh, that this is going to run differently and maybe helping them understand why is maybe one of the great added values you, you, you bring to the table for them. Uh, do you have any other observations about ways that you have to kind of communicate with maybe clients from, from uh, you know, Western Europe about uh, differences that they need to expect and uh, understand? Yes, I think there's a, um, I think um, German, uh, German business culture essentially is a written culture, and uh, what you expect is that pre people write proper business uh, letters in uh, good German style, uh, no, no, no uh, typos, uh, grammatically correct, 
And uh, there are other um, business cultures uh, where the personal impression, the personal presentation is much more important. So um, if you uh, talk to um, someone from the Middle East about a business meeting, a first encounter they had uh, with a German counterparty, they would often say, "Mm -hmm, so this was the CEO or someone from the top management. I was not very impressed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> An uncharismatic person, uh, sort of uneasy, and uh, didn't didn't want to uh, sit down and uh, and talk. Uh, rather, uh, wanted to get things over quickly, and didn't seem to enjoy being in Dubai or wherever. Uh-huh. Um, so that would be one impression. And then, uh, on the other hand, uh, the counter impression would be we met this uh, we met this uh, high caliber uh, business person from dubai or um, or from egypt for that purposes very impressed uh, knows everyone has business around the around the world very very connected with government and uh, then we received the follow-up letter, the, the, the follow-up uh, summary of our meeting, and mm. uh, we couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was, <laughs> um, yeah, it was just uh, it had promised to, to send us minutes, and it was just a short, uh, short email. It was uh, badly organized, and probably his secretary wrote it uh, without, uh, or an assistant wrote it without um, the proper uh, revisions, and so on and so on. Okay, because uh, from the Middle Eastern perspective, the personal encounter and the personal impression is what counts and uh, from the German side uh, at least often uh, the uh, written communication is more important. Okay so you have to kind of help your clients understand uh, on both sides maybe a little bit about what's going on sometimes. Yeah Yeah. sometimes I would underline sometimes because uh, you have to see International business uh, globalization is not a one-way street. Mm-hmm. So uh, you will uh, probably find in a place like uh, the UAE more internationally-minded business people and a much uh, more diverse business community than you would find in Germany. Mm-hmm. So uh, you would have uh, people uh, in a place like Dubai dealing uh, with the people from very different backgrounds every day. Okay. They, um, would have, they, they may have their preferences for doing things a certain way, but they would not expect to be everyone the same. Okay. And uh, so uh, that, that also would be my, my general observation. If you uh, negotiate uh, with um, an Iraqi or a Chinese counterparty, most of them will have negotiated with foreigners before, whoever foreigner is for them. Sure. And uh, they do not expect you to do business the Chinese way or the Iraqi way. Mm-hmm. It's okay. not the expectation. Yeah, okay. Um, have you ever had an incident that you could share with us without um, you know, making anyone's name known or uncomfortable? That just that where things went wrong due to what later turned out to be really a, a maybe a, a cultural misunderstanding, either on the business level or 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 through etiquette and other ways. Business level, 
difficult. I mean, honestly speaking, I don't really believe in cultural misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. I think because um, if it, in international business, um, I mean, if someone, uh, if, if there's an Arab, uh, if there's a, uh, for example, I have some uh, Egyptian clients, um, they would hire me because knowing that I'm a foreign lawyer, that they do not would not expect me uh, to be uh, uh, exactly the same as if they would uh, choose one of the very traditional law firms in Cairo. Okay. And um, I think, of course, uh, there are many misunderstandings in human uh, communication every day. Sure. But um, yeah, is it? Uh, but at least in in the world I work in, I would say that cultural misunderstandings are rather do not occur so often. Okay. Because I, as, as mentioned, um, the people I deal with, um, they may do business uh, in a different way, but they normally would be aware that their way of doing business is not the only way. Okay, so they, they're already, because of their own worldview, despite being from, you know, Iraq or a certain place, they've, they've dealt enough Absolutely. internationally to not Absolutely. have a, an expectation. Yeah. Yes, the, um, the, uh, the idea that uh, business is done the same way all around the globe comes from very large countries. The business <laughs> culture from very large country where you uh, can live and work for many years without leaving your home market, like, uh, for example, the U.S. I was a very or, good observation. Uh, today, yes. maybe uh, China. Mm -hmm. uh, these are people who are who would expect, uh, and all, from the U.S. also the U.S. firms who often have been very dominant in uh, South America, and then uh, would expect to see something similar in the Middle East or uh, Chinese uh, clients, uh, they often yeah, would, uh, internationalization is, 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 is beginning in China. And um, often uh, you would be dealing with people who do not have had a lot of international exposure. Okay. They would be very eager to learn, though. Don't underestimate them. They would be extremely eager to learn. Um, but in large countries, uh, and, and we are talking in the Middle East, these are small countries, tiny markets. So uh, the uh, Lebanese businessmen or also the uh, Iraqi uh, businessmen who would uh, do, um, have more significant business interests necessarily would have had exposure to um, markets outside Iraq. Okay. Let me close, or get, we're getting to the end. If you could think about, would you be able to give our listeners three tips about working with clients or colleagues who come from the Middle Eastern uh, part of the world, from the Middle Eastern region? Things to know about them. Yeah. Um, let me think. Three tips. Yeah. I would... Uh, yeah, um, it might, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, they were very generous. Um, um, like for, for every negotiation, uh, it is good uh, to have time okay. and uh, 
to be uh, to have enough time and to be uh, properly uh, rested and uh, well prepared also uh, also on the the, the mental side uh, this means uh, flying in on the red eye flight in order to get a deal done uh, uh, at a meeting starting at nine o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. uh, with a view of flying out in the afternoon, uh, this will not work because okay. uh, you will not be in the right uh, in the right uh, mood. Um, you need some time to uh, and you, you must be flexible. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the the second point. The first point would be get enough be, be well rested. Uh, uh, the second point would be have enough time, and um, the uh, third point um, would be yeah, to people feel whether you have a genuine interest in them, mm -hmm. and um, in the Middle East. Uh, it helps uh, to have a personal connection to do business, and this is uh, it is uh, very different uh, from German culture. In German culture, you do not uh, you want to separate money and friendship. You do yes. not want to indebt it to your friends. Right, right. In the right. Middle East, it would strengthen the bond if you also do business together. If you're not just personal friends. Uh -huh. So, um, and uh, so the personal connection can be very important and people feel whether you have a genuine interest in the person who is uh, sitting across the table. This does not mean that you uh, have to become uh, friends on a social level, but be curious, take people serious. Do not uh, only see them as uh, uh, robotics uh, uh, who represent a certain company or a vehicle to uh, to achieve your your business uh, business interests. Okay, it's really also I think in a summary what you're saying relationships matter in, in investing time and and genuine interest in in the relationship on a business level. That's correct. Okay. And if you cannot develop uh, this curiosity in other people, and if you do not enjoy uh, these kind of uh, encounters, mm -hmm. uh, you will find it a difficult place to work. Okay, super. If listeners would like to contact you, Kalian, what would be the best way? Um, they can uh, contact me by email. My okay. email address is on uh, the... Uh, Webpage. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a, a connection to that for people to be able to find you. Super. Great. Yeah, that's well, the easiest. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me today and to give me some really neat insights to working in the Middle East. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Interculturally of Council podcast. If you wish for more information about it, you can contact me via my website at www.culturalcrossing.com. If you have enjoyed the content, please take a moment to give the podcast a rating on the iTunes store or wherever you have found the podcast in order to make it visible to other potential listeners. Also, please feel free to share it with other legal professionals who might find the subject matter of this podcast interesting. 
Special thanks go to Lucien Stanislaus for the original theme music and to Sandra Cuevas who designed the logo. Thank you.